Forward, a Fiserv podcast, features conversations with the people moving financial services and commerce forward. Here's your host, Jason Hendricks with Fintech Forge. For consumers, the first weeks of the pandemic brought a parade of emails, texts, and letters from service providers offering their COVID-19 response, corporate policies, and consumer advice. As it has for so many areas, for customer communications, the crisis has highlighted both missteps, best practices, and room for improvement. In this episode of Fiserv Forward, we look at customer communications and financial services, billing and payments, and why it's critical to sustaining relationships in good times and bad. Today's guest, Annette Franz, CEO, CX Journey, and Becky Summers, Leader, Marketing Solutions at Radden, a Fiserv company providing strategic guidance for accelerated growth. Annette, the cover of your book, Customer Understanding, talks about putting the customer at the heart of a business. And getting that right is so hard, even in the best of times, let alone during a pandemic. What went through your mind as someone who spends so much time talking about and preaching the gospel of customer centricity when it became apparent just how quickly things were going to go off the rails with the current pandemic? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So there, there were really two things. It was, and I think that in this order too, right? The first one was around, you know what? If you, if your organization, if your culture, if the way that you do business and have, and have, you know, set things right from, you know, the beginning, or if you've been working on the customer experience and you've been working on making sure that the customer is at the heart of everything you do all along, today, the experience is going to be no different, you know, than it is from yesterday or what it'll be tomorrow. There'll be nuances, obviously, because of, you know, because of the crisis and the things, but the foundation of it is going to be the same, right? Your employees will be on board with what's right for customers and doing the right things. Your leaders will be on board with doing the right things for employees so that employees can do what's right for, for customers. So that was really the first one. It was like, if you've got it right, going, right? You've, you've already got the structure in place. If not, you know, you, it's never too late to start. Start listening because that's really important right now is to listen and to understand what your customers' needs are and how you can help them. The second thing that came to me was, wow, you know what? Change is possible. And I know you just said it's hard. Change is always hard. It's hard to reframe the organization customer-centric and put the customer at the heart of what they do. But look at how quickly businesses pivoted their business models and what they manage and what they do. Look at how quickly they moved the entire workforces, the entire workforce home, right? So yeah. we know that change is possible. It's just a matter of do we want to change and, and, and what does that mean? So, so it is possible. So those are really the, sort of the two things. Get the foundation right, and, yes, change is possible. So make it happen. So do you have any examples where you could just tell that an organization just had their foundation right and they were able to do something particularly good? And are there any examples you can point to and say, ooh, yeah, you, you missed on that one? Who's doing it right or who's done this all along is Zappos. You know what? They were built on a, on their 10 core values. It's, that's the heart of their business. They are a service organization. They're not a, they don't call themselves a shoe retailer, right? They are a service organization and their number one core value is, you know, delivering wow through service. And what they did and have done through this pandemic 
they opened up their doors to deliver service to answer questions for anyone, any product, anything. Doesn't have to be a shoe, doesn't have to be anything that they sell. They will be your service, your customer service, your ask me anything customer service organization. So, so that's really cool. That one was a great example. The other one that I love was a great example too was Airbnb and Brian Chesky and the communication that he did to his employees. Take, carrying them through the layoff, you know, having a layoff, you know, a, a fourth of your workforce and, and how do you do that with compassion and, and transparency and authenticity and really living their, their core values, right? So, so those were two great examples. Oh boy, the ones that are, you know, not so great are, and, and maybe we'll, we'll get to talking about this a little bit more as we get into the communications. It really is the ones who just tried to be the, the me too, you know, in terms of how they communicated with customers. They just kept sharing the same information day in and day out, right? They kept, you know, resharing what the CDC was saying or, you know, whatever. And instead of saying, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's how we can help you. Here's what we're going to do differently to help all of us get through this crisis together. So, uh, you know, and, and there isn't just one brand that I could call out for that. There are, there are many, unfortunately. Well, and that brings up an important point. If I get another email about being here for me, you know, in yes. the midst of the crisis, in particular when it's not someone who I expect to be there for me, right? Like that's the part that felt disingenuous. Now, one group that we do expect to be there for us tends to be our financial institutions, you know, because they have our money and that's pretty important. <laughs> Becky, Raddenfield did some research right now that was financial institution-centric, but I think actually has some insights that can be applied pretty broadly. What were some of the key learnings that came out? We did a couple of surveys. One was specific around uh, from a, a customer perspective. The other was from an institutional perspective. Am I prepared or not? And what we found, unfortunately, is, that, you know, when we had about 47% of the financial institutions that we surveyed said that 50% of their employees were working remote, but they only had about 40% that said that we were actually prepared to do video conferencing. And when you're used to that face-to-face -face com communication and you take that away, it's a whole different perspective on how you do business. And, of course, ultimately, you want to think about how you're doing business for your customers. Is there anything else that came out as you look at this and say, you know, this is one of the things that makes it particularly hard within financial institutions or within the financial aspect of, you know, you're a merchant, but dealing with that, you know, financial aspect? The speed of change really caused us to to move at a pace that maybe it wasn't comfortable to stop and get the data points that you needed to get. So in order to have really advantageous conversations with our customers, we needed to know where they were in their life and what they needed to do. So, for example, what we found is that if people were retired and not working before COVID, they had a whole set of issues that they needed to talk about, asset value declines, home declining, all of those things, versus those people who were somewhat retired but still working, and now they're not working because of COVID. They were worried about loss of income, job security, and payments. So unless we take a moment to really rely on our data and understand that I can take that retiree set, for example, and I need to sub, I need to sub out the conversations and create different conversations around each of those unique groups within a group, I'm going to miss the mark and I'm going to, I'm going to break trust. And then I'd love for you to pick up that thread. What else makes it hard within financial service or within the billing aspect, you know, of this? I, th I think it's uh, let's like step back and, and uh, talk about the structure, right? Legacy systems, compliance, regulations, all those kinds of things that really 
tend to slow down the financial services and, and makes them communicate in a way that isn't always the way that customers want to communicate, right? I'll, I'll give you a prime example. This happened about a year ago. The insurance company that I dealt with last year, I had submitted a question online. They have an online place where you can go and submit a question. They confirmed that my question was received via an email. Great. All right. I have, you know, I have their app on my phone. They could have popped up a notification there too, but that didn't happen. And three days later, I got a response. The response was a fax that was PDF'd and attached to an email sent to me. <laughs> so why couldn't all of that have happened in on the website in within my account where I had yeah. started communication? You faxed me a, 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 a email me a PDF of a fax, and I had I had a friend who worked for um, the insurance company and I asked him. I said, "Why why does that happen?" And he said, "Same exactly that." This is these are the systems we have in place, the legacy systems. This is how we always have done things. And and I think that's part of what companies need to learn right now is that the way you have always done things is not gonna get you to where we need to go as we come out of this and as we go into, you know, the year years down the road. Well, and you know, this is an example where we sometimes see those investments in new types of services do pay off. You know, I know as an example within Pfizer's and the Output Solutions Group, you know, they had to leverage a lot of their digital printing capabilities, which is, you know, a great boon that they could set this up and turn it on a dime to do things like the story I had heard was around helping an insurance company turn things around really quickly to get two and a half million rebate checks back to people, right, who were no longer driving those cars. And, you know, talk about an ability to deliver on an empathetic brand promise. If you're this insurance company and say, I'm literally getting money back in your hands at a time I know it matters most to you. That's a pretty important piece of this idea of building trust and empathy. What other elements do you see are those moments where, we might be overlooking the opportunity to build trust. Well, there are a lot of different things that we can do, right? Companies have to be transparent. They need to communicate authentically. They have to be consistent when they're both in their communications and just in the experience in general. They have to be human. You know, I think the, the, the other part of it is, too, is that the more technologically advanced we become, the more people want to actually interact with humans, right? I'll give you a great example. You know, I, I went to my mortgage company's website. I needed to go in and set up a recurring payment. And I go into the screen that, that's there to set that up. And, and on the screen, it says, in order to do that, you have to call us. <laughs> and it's like, okay. So then I get on the phone, I call them. And then while I'm on the phone talking, you know, on hold, there's the voiceover saying, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do on our website. Maybe what you're trying to get answered, you know, on this phone call, you can go do on your website. And, and it's no, I can't. I, that's why I'm calling you right now, you know. And so I think that's a that's a big thing that we have to take a look at here is that there's consistency across the channels, that the channels, one channel knows what the other channel is doing and that all the messaging and, and all the ties between those channels are very clear and and I think that's a place where where customers start to lose trust is if if I feel like one the hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing I'm going to start to wonder what's going on within that company. Becky, I believe you also fielded some research specific to financial institutions on the communication channels they use to contact members as the pandemic was rolling out. What did we learn there? 
Um, really that uh, it appeared that they sometimes chose a channel and stopped at that channel or they just did it once and stopped. It was interesting to see that they updated on their website fairly consistently and more frequently. They updated with some on a weekly basis. They were making phone calls to select customers just to really make sure they're having those touches. But beyond that, it got really intermittent. It was really a little bit disappointing in times when if you're a member of a financial institution, you hear from them once or twice and you're like, wow, I'm going to hear something and then it drops off. So really having the ability to think in terms of a consistent communication methodology by channel that all, as we talked about earlier, really comes together and groups together in a way that's nice uh, and, and really fits and is consistent. There were some communications out from CEOs within organizations, which, if done consistently and gave me good information about what was happening, really did help lift the trust. Well, and I think you hit one of the important aspects there in that consistency. When we don't have new information, we don't know the answer. I mean, let's just call it out. Financial institutions pride themselves on having that answer. In you know, a pandemic, I don't know anyone who said, boy, our business continuity plan and our emergency communications plan, we were ready for this one, right? We, we had it all set up, you know, to pull that email template off. We're, we're good to go. And I think, you know, that's part of what makes it hard is we don't know what to say. And so we say nothing. Exactly. Or you come out with one really strong message. And then when nothing else happens, then you, you know, you feel the disconnect as a consumer. And it's really important to keep that connectivity because we're managing what's most important to them, right? Their money, their future, their savings. Those are the most important things from a financial institution and from a payments perspective is that we're managing their day-to-day -day life. Follow the money, right? And if we can't have good, strong trust and communication, that will only cause us to worry about you long-term as a consumer. The companies that appeared to do the best had the strong foundations in place at the outset. Mm -hmm. How do we go about building a, a strong foundation you know, like this that for the next crisis or the upturn that we have an organization that's ready for this? Any organization that's really ready for this needs to think in terms of a holistic approach. So this kind of felt like an Apollo 13 mission, right? Here's the box of things that we can use. And as, you know, Annette, you said earlier, how are we cobbling things together? Well, now that we know what didn't work, we have to really sit back and have a really honest conversation about where we had the disconnects either from a communication perspective or from a, a systems perspective so that we can fix those things in the future. And I think if any of us, interesting story, if any of us would have thought, you know, six months ago that we were going to be in this, we would have plans. But we don't know what the next situation is going to be. And we don't know what demands it's going to, it really going to put on us. So fixing things and creating systems that really have good connectivity between them really is what's important to think about. And how would you build on that? How do you think organizations need to be approaching this? I think it goes back to what I started with, too, right? It goes back to that foundation. And the foundation is really rooted in culture and leadership, right? You know, you have a lot of other things that you need to do, but if you don't have that culture and, and the leadership in place to ensure that that's going to happen, it's it's not. Or it might, the, the fixes that you need to make might happen in pockets, but it won't be, you know, organization-wide. So if you have leaders who deliberately design the culture to be the way that it needs to be, whether it's service-oriented, 
customer centric, what, whatever, you know, your, your culture is. Leadership's got to be on board. They've got to ensure that it, it is built that way, that they model the behaviors, that they reinforce the behaviors that they want to see. The core values need to be in place to make sure that, you know, culture is core values plus behavior, right? And so those have to be in place in order to ensure that both leaders know how to interact with employees and employees know how to interact with their customers. And, and I think that's, that's, you know, sort of the, the bottom line for me always is, is that that foundation isn't in place. The rest of it's never going to happen or it's, it's not going to happen in a very consistent way. If you do have the consistency of the core values and the leadership piece of this, you probably do end up that it doesn't matter what the situation is. Becky, anything else stick out from the research as it relates to how organizations have viewed their performance, what they might do differently going forward? Um, I think from an organizational perspective, many of them were able to step back and say, these are things we've done in the past but never joined it quite this way. We saw about a 22% increase in financial counseling services that were put forward. They've had those but they don't talk about them on an everyday basis. They were able to bring those back to light and really be able to shine with some of the some of the ideas that they've had accumulated in the past. Again, they had to connect the dots for the customer in a different way. That's a great application of nimbleness and an asset they already have that they said, wait, this is relevant now. You know, let's go deploy that. Mm-hmm. Do you have other examples uh, as you look at organizations that you're already seeing how they're growing and progressing in their approach? They are really thinking in terms of a holistic approach. So albeit they're talking about their employees and they're talking about their customers, they're also still thinking about the communities in which they serve. So I saw a lot of conversation around, well, we're not going to have the event that we had before, but these entities within our community need support. So we're going to order from our local businesses. We're going to use our local businesses in a different way. So having that foundation of giving and empathy within the organization I think really follows through in situations like this. You can see the ones that have that in their DNA and those that don't. Any other takeaways from the research that you think are applicable as organizations are preparing for a new normal and hopefully fewer crises, but we know they're inevitable, you know, coming up that uh, foundational investments that could be made? I think from a foundational perspective, you always need to think in terms of overall loyalty and really the metric around You know, if I have a really strong, loyal group of customers, I'm able to translate that into long-term results for the institution, which then turns around for the long-term results for the consumer. So one of the things, just reaching back in in history, you know, we looked at uh, post-recession period times, and we looked at institutions that have high loyalty from a financial institution and those that had lower loyalty, and we saw double results in penetration of loans post-recession for those with high loyalty. So if you're doing the right thing all the way along, then that's going to tide you through these kinds of situations. But you can't, you've got to have that deep in your culture, and you've got to be able to deliver on that brand promise every day. Annette, any recommendations for an organization that's looking itself in the mirror and assessing, you know, what they did well, and they said, you know, we need to up our level of customer centricity. What do you recommend as their first steps in becoming more customer-centric? I like to say no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing in the customer voice, without first asking how will this impact the customer, what, how will it make her feel, what, how will it impact her, what problems will it solve? So with, you can't you can't answer those questions without 
bringing the customer and her, and her voice into everything you do. And so, you know, listen to your customers, listen, listen, listen. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. It doesn't have to just be through surveys or, you know, there's a plethora of ways you can, you can listen to customers, you know, take the time to understand them through, you know, develop your personas and really get at the heart of, you know, what's in their heads, what's in their hearts, what are they seeing? What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they doing? What are their pain points? What problems are they trying to solve? If you get to that root of understanding of your customers and then design the entire experience around that. And and then obviously you've got to make sure that your employees are all well aware of all of that information, everything that you know about your customers, that that information is then ingrained in your culture, right? And that they are asking for that information as they're trying to design products and design services and do whatever it is that they do. So, so yeah, that's, that's the bottom line is that really customer understanding is at the cornerstone of, of centricity. And, you know, I would really echo that. I think it's really important. You said if you really communicate from a problem-solving perspective, if we really think of ourselves as problem solvers instead of seller of product or service, that goes a long way to creating a different cultural um, execution and a different way to do business. So every day we have to solve someone's problem, but we need to know on a one-to-one basis what that individual problem is. Well, and we need to think about it from the customer's point of view. Right. right. No, one, no one wakes up one day and says, you know what I want is a new mortgage, right? Their storyline right. is something else. It's I've moved or we're having a kid or the kids have moved out, right? Like that's their story. It's not mortgage. I completely agree. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've said to an institution, if you tell me you make mortgages, I don't want to talk to you. If you tell me that you're putting someone in their first home to raise their family, then we're going to have a great conversation because that's what we're doing from a financial services. And you can apply that to any business. And that anything you would add to that? Uh, yes, just yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I agree 110%. No, that is a beautiful way of putting it. it. It absolutely is. And, you know, you can apply that throughout the entire customer experience, like I said, and in your communications, too. You know, I mean, it's it's such an important way to do business, solve the problems. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I want to highlight that we brought up in this is, the importance of consistency in the little things, because how often do we think of what problem am I solving for a customer when we send out a bill, yeah. right? And that's those little things and the transactional nature of it makes it so easy to, those are the little things that chip away at trust is you promised me a good relationship and then you send me legalese and I don't know how I'm going to pay for something or I'm not sure what the terms of this loan are. I'm confused by what I even need. And you've turned me away with the little things that you've done. As we come to a close here, anything that you would like to highlight that banks, while we continue to go through the final stages of what the pandemic and reopenings are beginning to look like and kind of a new normal is established, that banks in particular or credit unions, financial institutions should have on their radar that they don't lose sight of this, that they just revert back to old habits? I would say the big thing is to be human. Remember that customers are humans. There's a human on the other side of that transaction. They're not just account numbers. They're not just transactions. There's a human there. There's your, it's your mother, your daughter, your brother, your sister, your uncle, right? That's what you have to think about as you interact, whether it's through an email or on your website or, or, you know, face to face in the branch or whatever it is. We just have to remember that there's a human on the other side of this, you know, so I think that's so important. Annette, I think that is a fantastic way to close, that there's always a human on the other side of that email, on the other side of that direct mail piece that goes out. 
thanks for driving the humanity home. Thank you. Becky, I know that Radden's been doing a lot of research around this. So as Annette had alluded to the importance of understanding your customer and where they are, understanding that human that that's there, where can people go to find some of the research that you've done and what would you point them to to better understand their customers? Sure, a couple of opportunities. We do a lot of customer behavioral research to understand what the needs are of consumers from a financial service perspective. Uh, we deliver all that through Radden.com, and that will give you a lot of the annual customer and behavioral research. You can also look at Fiserv.com and search uh, consumer expectations, consumer behaviors, and there's even a deeper set of uh, – there's even more information from that side as well. One of the things I was pleasantly surprised at as a Fiserv customer was just the level of expertise that they had across all of the channels that, you know, that they'd worked on since Fiserv has been so intimately involved in communicating on behalf of their clients for so long that Fiserv.com has a huge wealth as well as, you know, your Fiserv employees you can leverage to say, you know, what are the best practices? What have you seen that works particularly well just because they've been doing it so long and so much? Right. And we have so much, uh, you know, so much interaction with our clients overall. So we're able to understand what problems they're solving and understand what problems they have. So we're able to kind of join that uh, to other institutions and help them understand how to make a difference for their customers. Well, fantastic. Thank you for sharing your research, Annette. Thank you for sharing uh, your expertise in putting the customer at the heart of the relationship and talking about how we use communications. And a lot of it is in the little things to build trust with our customers. Thank you for joining us. Look for future episodes of Forward at Fiserv.com slash forward and soon on major podcasting platforms.